Good morning. So for the past three weeks, um, Pastor Danny has been uh, walking us uh, through a series that we're calling Hidden, Not Hiding. Um, We're going through the book of Esther. So we've been walking in Esther's uh, shoes, this ancient, unexpected queen. We've walked through her story, kind of seen God at work in some surprising ways, both in her own life um, and in the life of the, the circumstances that are going on around her. We, we see things happening, and, and even in the book of Esther, we don't one time hear the name of God even mentioned. And, and things happen, things occur that when we look at it from an outsider's perspective, looking at the text, we, we often think and maybe even ask the question, where is God at work in the middle of this? So we've seen Esther um, and her story. We've kind of seen her become queen uh, as as our series started off. There was a king at the time, King Xerxes, um, that he made a request of his wife and um, uh, to come and kind of uh, appear in front of a a group of of rulers that he had with him. She refused. And so he dethroned her and kind of banished her from his sight and then went on this mission uh, to find a show-ready bride that he could bring in as his new queen. Um, So he uh, ends up choosing Esther to be the next queen. So Esther comes in, um, he's pleased with Esther, but then uh, Xerxes' right-hand man, a guy named Haman, um, he went to the king and he said, we should get rid of all the Jewish people because there's this guy, he's he's not bowing down to you as the king. The guy's name was Mordecai, um, who was Esther's cousin and who had also been raising um, Esther uh, in her parents' absence. Um, and so Esther hears about this and she goes before Xerxes and she says, hey, I want to throw this feast. Will you come and, and sit and eat and dine with me? And so she has the feast and he shows up and he says, whatever you want up to half my kingdom, I'll give you what you ask for. And Esther says, why don't you, why don't you come back tomorrow night and we'll have another feast and bring your guy Haman, bring him along with you. And so next week we will pick up um, at that second feast. Danny will move us forward. But this morning what we want to do is we want to camp for a little bit on a theme that we have seen throughout Esther as we've been through so far. And that is the truth that God is present and active and sovereign in everything. God is present, he is active, he is sovereign in all things. So we're going to step from the hope of what we see in the Old Testament account of Esther, the hope that we see there, we're going to step into the New Testament this morning where we see the hope of God's deliverance of his people. We see it, we see it in flesh and blood in the person of Jesus Christ, where God has fully revealed himself. We see God's physical presence in Jesus. We see his active sacrifice, and we see his complete sovereignty in the person of Christ in the New Testament. And now his presence is planted in our lives as those of us who have placed our hope exclusively in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, God's very spirit comes and dwells inside of us. So God is active. He is working around us all the times in ways that we see and in ways that we don't see. And his sovereign control, it points in one laser-focused, streamlined direction toward the day when all of history will end and he will make all things new as he is sovereignly in control. Everything is his. 
So today we're going to read from the text that, that Michael led us in uh, just a few minutes ago. We're going to read from Romans chapter 8. So if you'll go ahead and Roman, uh, open to Romans 8, we're going to read verses 28 through 39. That's where we're, going to, where we're going to camp this morning. I invite you to read along with me. This is Romans 8, 28. I'm going to start in verse 28 and go through verse 39. It says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And we know that for those who love God, what? Some things? Some things? A few things? We know that for those who love God, all things work together for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So what shall we say, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is the condemned? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is his word for us this morning, friends. Romans chapter eight, just a brief overview for us as we kind of dive into this chapter. It tells, it is a story that tells a victory and promise and God's great love for us through the person of Christ Jesus. It opens up reminding us in verse one that there is therefore now no condemnation. Nothing can separate us from God's love for us in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because of Jesus's perfect life, his substitutional death, his resurrection from the dead, There is no condemnation. We are freed from the defeat of sin and from having to work to earn God's approval and favor on our lives because it's been given to us freely through Jesus. He has worked for us. He is not dependent on our work. He has come to us while we are running hard long away from him in the opposite direction. I think about our young son when I, I think about this sometimes. We, we have a, he's almost 20 month old and um, he will look at you and he will smile and he'll start to walk towards you. And whenever you start to walk toward him, what's he do? He turns around and runs in the opposite direction. I'm coming to love him and care for him and give good to him, but he sees me coming and he turns. This is what we do in the midst of our offense to God. We are turning and running from him and he comes towards us to extend his love and his goodness to us and forgiveness and in the perfection of Christ. His presence is real, his work is active, and his sovereign control is in the storyline of all of creation. 
This verse that we're looking at, the, the first one that our eyes land on in verse 28, it is often uh, misused and misunderstood. When we look at this verse, we have to first recognize that, that what Paul says when he starts off this section, he says, and we know that for those who love God, for those who are dependent on him, who are in a relationship with God, that all things work together for good. For those for who? For those who are called according to his purpose. So this passage, this text that we're in, it is, it is written specifically to the church. It's written specifically to people who have put their trust exclusively in the person of Jesus. It's not for everyone, this promise, this truth, but it is available to everyone. Those who have been given life through Jesus Christ confidently know the truth of this promise because we are proof of it. It's really important how we understand this, uh, this word good that's, that's written in this passage, that all things work together for good. I think that when we look at this text, it's easy for us to kind of use it as this place where we get to take any sort of difficult thing that we're going through and we get to kind of like strap this Band-Aid on top of it and act like the bad is not there. We put it on there like it's healing. We put it on like everything's going to turn out exactly the way that we want it to. Good can easily be defined as this pale, self-reflective, how I want things to turn out approach to whatever situation should come before us. All things will work together for good translates to all things work together for the way that I want them to work out in the end. When this is not the perspective from which this passage is written. When Paul is writing and he says that all things, everything, all things, everything will work together for good. He is talking about good exclusively from God's perspective. The God who authored, who created, who spoke everything into existence, who knows the beginning of the story and knows the very end of all human history. The one who will reign over all things for all eternity. We are viewing the perspective that this passage is written from is his understanding of good, that all things will work together for good, for our good, for his glory. But that does not mean our ease. This verse, this one verse, instead of being the band-aid that we put on top of the wound, it actually points past the hurt. It points past our desires for quick resolution directly in front of us to the reality that difficulty will never be out of sight in this life. It is always in the rearview mirror or it is always just around the corner. Not because God is out of control or because he can't orchestrate things toward our happiness, but because God is in complete control and he has orchestrated all things to our perfect satisfaction and happiness through Jesus Christ and eternity spent with him. God is present, he is active, he is at work in this life and is guaranteed for us perfect, never-ending, unbroken relationship with himself when this life is over, but only through faith in Christ. There's no way to shortcut our way out of difficulty. There's no way to shortcut what God can teach and what God can use difficulty for in our lives. Oftentimes when we hit something hard in life, we hit it head on and we think, I just want it to be over. 
I just want to get to the other side. God, whatever lesson you have for me to learn, I want to go ahead and push through that guy so I can be at the reward end of things. And there's no way to shortcut it. There's no way to learn what God would have us learn in the midst of pain and suffering and difficulty. All the things that we want him to tie a bow around and make good, there's no way to learn those things except directly straight through them. This is when we connect with the heart of God and the truth of the gospel is in the midst of difficulty. It's in the midst of hard times and suffering, wanting the good without wanting the process that we go through to attain it. It's like um, if, if, and this is, a, this is a pale illustration, but follow with me on it. Wanting the good without going through the difficulty, it's like wanting the payoff of going to the gym. And so you set your alarm clock, you're gonna get up in the morning, you're gonna go to the gym, you're gonna drive to the parking lot, you're gonna sit there, and you did that. You got to that point. You are at the gym, you are there, You are motivated to be at the gym, but you never get out of the car. You drive back home, you pull in your driveway, you go inside, get ready for work. The next morning comes, you get in the car, you go to the gym, you pull in the parking lot, you sit there, you're motivated, but you don't get out of the car and you turn around, you go back home, you pull in the driveway, get ready for work. Day after day, you do the same thing. And at the end, you step back and you say, I'm going to the gym, why aren't I getting more fit? Why isn't my body changing? Why isn't my waistline changing? Why doesn't the scale tell me something different? I'm going to the gym. I should get the good of going to the gym. But are you ever going through the difficulty of what it costs you to actually have the good of that? God tells us in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of suffering, going through that is the way that he shapes us and refines us into dependence on him into dependence on the work of Jesus Christ and not anything that we could do on our own. When we come to this verse, when we see the sovereignty and activity of God in this passage, we see that God is in complete control. And we have to ask that question, who is in control of our lives? Who's in control? The truth of God's words for us is that God is in complete sovereign control. He is over all things. He spoke all things into existence and he holds all things in the palm of his hand. They're his. But when we look at God's sovereignty, if you're like me, you, you have two different kinds of thoughts that go into play when we think about God being in complete control. One is comfort, that God is in control, that he knows all things, sees all things, is above all things, is in all things. That's the guy I want to be in control of all things. He is in control. Comfort comes upon me when hard times hit and the daily grind of life, comfort hits. But at the same time, there's this temptation to move toward anxiety. If God's in control, then that means that I am not. Comfort and anxiety. I am, God is in control and I am not. We look at this idea of life like we want God to be in control, but then we step back and look at our lives and practically and functionally, we live like we're sitting in the driver's seat. This verse tells us that God is in control, that he does not manipulate our days to cause us ease, but that he has authored all of our days and written them to point to ultimate good, and that is satisfaction and dependence on the person of Jesus. We trust in God. We actively trust him. We pursue God. We pursue relationship with him and good 
in him, not just the outcome that comes from the other side. We have to actively live and step in faith. Think about Esther. Whenever she is going to talk to the king, she doesn't know the outcome. She doesn't know the other side of it. She's taking active steps in faith, knowing that God is in control. Joseph, he didn't know the outcome of that whole thing before Esther. He's sold into slavery. He ends up moving up the ranks in command, but he has said, he says to his brothers after they come back to him, the ones that sold him into slavery, what you intended for harm, God intended for good. Did he know whenever he was going through that, what the outcome of that would be? No, but the condition of him, his heart is so changed and so transformed by God's goodness and faithfulness to him that he trusted God was in control. Job, did he know the outcome of what was gonna happen after he lost everything? Nobody trusted in God's faithfulness, his active presence and control in all of life. We look in the, the New Testament, this one time where um, the disciples, did they know was it, what was about to happen to them? Did they know that difficulty was headed their way? Yeah, they sure did. Jesus told him. John 16, this is exactly what Jesus says to them. He says, trouble, difficulty, it's headed your way like a Mack truck. It's fast, it's unavoidable, and it will overrun you. But then what does he give on the other side of that? He says, take heart. I am in control. I have overcome the world. Difficulty is going to come. It's gonna seem like it's too much to bear but I am sovereign, I am control, I have overcome the world. We must lean into God's sovereign control over all things, not in just this theoretical idea or the way that we trace it through the pages of scripture, even though they're true for us, but we must grasp firmly onto God's control in our own lives. That it would lean us toward dependence on him, lean us towards trust in him. So this is verse 28, we jump to verse 29 and verse 30, and uh, Paul tells us that God um, foreknew, he knew ahead of time, and he predestined that he was at, at work and determined ahead of time those who would follow Jesus, that God called, he initiated relationship, God justified, he made the relationship possible, and that God glorified that, that we will be with and resemble Jesus in body after this life is over. Then we jump to verses 31 through 37. This text, it draws us into a set of five different questions. Questions in the everyday experience and truth of God's reality for us that he's over everything and in all things. It's like in this set here, when we look at verses 31 through 37, it's like Paul takes a peek in our minds. He like peels back the layers of our, of our skull and he, he looks and takes a microscope and he places it upon our heart that when we hear the truth of God's goodness and we hear the truth of God's control, we wanna say yes and amen to that. We wanna believe that it's true. But then we walk out of this room or we, or, or we think two seconds later, but what about this situation? Because it sure seems like God is not in control here. Or what about this situation? It sure seems like God is not working anything in any direction toward any good right here. 
And so we land in this section after, after Paul has just told us, after God's telling us in his word that he works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, we get to the set of five questions that it's almost like we have this inner voice inside of us, this inner skeptic that is saying, that's true, but... And so Paul dives into it. He speaks to it. He speaks to it for us. In verse 31, he says, what, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? Because at times when we see that God is at work in all things and moving all things towards good, it seems like there are people in our lives who are definitely against us. That the reality of God being for us is so outweighed by the ever-ready presence of people being against us, family, friends, co-workers, difficult situations that we deal with in everyday life, our spouses, our kids. If God is for us, who can be against us? Well, it seems like there's a good number of people that are against us. It seems like there are a good number of people that would push against God's goodness in our, in our lives. But God has done this work, so how should we respond? We live in all five of these different questions. We live in this set of tensions, this present reality or God's sovereign control. We live in between these spaces. And so when we look at the idea of who can be against us, we have this, we have this choice to make. We can either live in fear of who would oppose us, or we can live in confidence that God is for us fear of who would be against us or confidence that God would be for us. So as you hear that God is working all things together for good, that he is sovereignly in control of your life and you start putting faces in front of you that say, God missed this person, this, this difficult situation that I'm going through, they are against me and they are outweighing God's goodness toward me. We push against fear and we lean toward confidence that God is with us. Verse 32 He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Question, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? There are times where people that seem against us are not the issue. It's the circumstances that are around us. We have the opportunity to either live in want or to live in satisfaction? Are we wanting or are we satisfied? Do we look at the things and the circumstances and the situations around us and we think, God does not know my need or he would provide? It sure seems like if he's working things together for good that he missed the boat on this one. We have the opportunity here. Do we, do we live in want, always wanting more, always comparing, always thinking that we need more, that God does not know our needs? Or are we fully satisfied in the way that God has provided our greatest need in the person of his son, Jesus Christ? Do we reorient ourselves around this very present reality that whatever we think we may want or should have or should be in our presence or whatever difficulty should be resolved, that God is actually in control of that as well. And that if it is happening, that there is opportunity for God to be at work in my life and to teach me his goodness and his love and his care and his presence in my life, even when it seems like he's not there. We're gonna live in want. We're gonna live in satisfaction. Verse 33 who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who, has been, it is God who justifies. This seems like a, um, a constant fight. Like a constant fight. 
because it often seems like the charge brought against me every day um, is one that I am guilty. The repercussions, the, the consequences, the effects of my sin, of my rebellion toward God, some of them have earned me daily reminders that I am guilty. So this charge is brought against me. God's in complete control and he is, but I'm guilty, I'm guilty, I'm guilty. But the truth of this reality is that even in my guilt, while I am in my guilt, that God has pardoned me through the work of Jesus, not just by the flick of a pen on a piece of paper that would earn judicial pardon, but by the very blood of Jesus Christ, have I been moved from a guilty standing to a pardoned standing, that I am free that the guilt that I would see when I look in the mirror, that it is, it is wiped clean, it is erased completely through Jesus' work for me on the cross. So we have this question that we stand here. Who shall bring a charge against me? Am I going to be guilty or am I going to be pardoned? Am I going to live in this constant process of I'm guilty, I'm guilty, I'm guilty? Or am I going to submit my life to the freedom that I have only through Christ? This next one, verse 34, it says, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, the one who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who's interceding for us. This is almost like, I feel like this constant disapproval is just sitting in the back of our minds. The the idea of condemnation, that we have been rejected, that we're being disapproved of. That we would say that because of our circumstances, because of what we are living in, that there is no way that this is working together for good. There's no way that God is in control. Even if it's this internal kind of battling in the will of the mind that I would feel rejection or disapproval, that God is at the work, as is at work in the midst of that. So we'd ask that question: are we rejected or are we accepted? Are we pulled in lovingly into the family of God? Or has he kept us at bay? Has he pushed us away? We've been accepted, my friends. Verses 35 and 37. It says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he goes on to this list. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us? This is a root question. The question that comes to mind here is, is there, is there any way that he really loves me this much? Would he love me this much that he really would be at work in my everything, in all things, that God loves me that much that he would be at work in every single thing, in my marriage, in my family, in my job, in my relationships, in the way that I work, in the things that I say, in the things that are said to me, in the things that I do, in the things that are done to me. God is at work in all of those things. There's no way, there's no way that he loves me that much. That God would be at work in all those things to bring about to me, bring about for me his good, his best for me. There's no way, there are all these things that would make me think God does not love me that much. Difficulty hits. The way that Paul talks about it, he gives this list in front of him right here. 
tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword, you could replace that with your own laundry list that you have running in the back of your mind that would make you think, there's no way that God loves me this much that even in this place that seems so void of the presence of God that he would love me and he would be present here? There's no way God loves me this much. There's no way. So we have to ask this question in the middle of that tension. Has he neglected me? Am I neglected or am I truly loved? Am I truly loved? We see this interjection that happens in between verses 35 and 37. And it's a quote from Psalm 44, verse 22. And it says, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And so we read that text, we read that little quote in there, and we can identify with that. And we think, man, this is one of the truest things that I can resonate with in here is just how I feel like life is hard and I'm being led away to difficulty all the time. And sometimes it's even in the midst of me trying to follow God's goodness for me. And you feel unloved. And so we have to ask this question, are, are we neglected or are we truly loved? The scriptures tell us that we are more than conquerors through him who what? loved us. We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. I want you to drive home with me in in verses 38 and 39 here. God is actively present. He He is in control and at work in everything. In everything, God is at work in everything. He's at work for our good. Ultimately, he is at work for his glory. Look, at, look with me in verses 38 and 39 here. It says, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor anything present or things to come nor powers nor heights nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nor anything else in all creation nor anything else in all creation nor anything else in all creation, nothing can separate us from God's love for us in Christ Jesus. Not one thing, nothing in all of creation, not one single thing, not one circumstance, not one person, not one situation, not one negative outcome, not one repercussion for our sin, not one offense that has been done to us or we have done toward others, not one thing, not one hardship, Not one season of favor, not one thing can separate us from God's love for us in Christ Jesus. Not one single thing. And that means that if you have placed your hope and your faith in Jesus Christ, that you are sitting firmly in the palm of his hand and you are encased by his love and it will never, ever go away because he sent his son and paid the price with his life to, to give his love and acceptance to you so he could pull you into his family so that you could be ambassadors for God's goodwill and his love and his, nat- and his nature and his character to all people and all humanity. Not anything in all creation, not one thing can separate us from God's love. Do you know what that means? Do you know what that means? That means that you are loved. That means that you are loved by the creator and sovereign controller of the entire universe of anything that is created. You are loved by him. You are loved whether you feel lovable or not, whether you feel condemned or not, 
Whether that voice in the back of your head brings the guilty verdict against you day after day after day, you are loved by God through the person of Jesus Christ. You are loved. We read these verses and we remember this truth for us that we are loved by God. And it's easy for us especially when we drive home this truth and we personalize it the way that we are doing this morning. To make these verses about about us, that, that we would be lovable. But God loves us even in the midst of our offense towards him. We read these 11 verses and we see that this is all about God's work. This is about what God has done. This is about his character, about his determination, about his victory over all things. And then that he would choose to love us and to extend his good work to us and his character to us and his victory to us. That when the scriptures tell us that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, that we are handed victory for a battle that we have never even put a foot on the battleground for. God is extending to us the victory of Christ. And we've never even been able to fight. This is about God's control, God's work, God's care for us. Pastor uh, Tim Keller, he's a a pastor in New York, really well known. He he summarizes this idea in, in, in this quote. He says, the gospel is this, that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dare hoped. That this is good news for us. That God loves us, and through Christ Jesus, we have been restored to right relationship with him. So as we look at this passage, as we look at this idea of God bringing all things together for good, we don't look at it as this kind of thing that is happening to somebody else. We don't look at it void of the circumstances that are going on in our daily lives. We look at it as God's truth for God's people, for us this morning, that God is at work in everything and that not one single thing, nothing can separate us from God's love. Even when we feel like it's not happening, even when we feel like God's presence is is hidden, is actively at work around us in situations that seem to be overwhelming. He is with us. So what do we do to this? How do we respond to this truth that, that God is at work in everything and that we can do nothing to separate us from the love of God? The first thing that I would say is that this morning, if you have never placed your faith and your hope in Jesus Christ to restore you to right relationship with God, all the things that you have been doing and working toward to try and ease away the guilt or or make yourself feel pardoned, that you would place your trust in Jesus, that you would confess your need for him. That you believe that Jesus is the one who has come, who lived in your place, who died in your place and rose again from the grave so that you could have a right relationship with God. That you would believe in the good news this morning for the first time For those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, I'd encourage you to remember whatever situation that your inner skeptic is popping up in the back of your mind where you would say, God is not present here, that you would believe God's truth for you. 
This is God's good news for you, that he is present, he is active, he is with you. He has worked and is working in your life. He's in complete control. Believe that truth. Own that truth, because if you are hidden in Christ, it is yours. He is at work in everything and nothing can separate you from God's love for you. And then this last thing that I would say is we, we see this in Esther really clearly. And this would be to step confidently forward in faith, knowing that he is in control. Step confidently forward in faith, knowing that God is in complete control. Uh, at times we think about this idea of God being in control and we think that it equates to him um, really clearly dictating and directing whatever our next move should be. And so we, we uh, kind of land on the idea that we need to wait around for God's will to be really clearly revealed to us. And there are times and seasons where that needs to happen, where we need to not move until we confidently know what God has in front of us. But then there are also times where God has revealed himself to us in his word and he makes himself known in those who are around us who are following Christ as well. And we need to take that step forward in faith, knowing that we are seeking to honor God and how we move forward. That's what, that's what Esther did. She didn't say, go pray and fast and then we'll see and then I'll go approach the king and see if he wants to save his people. She knew that God wanted to save his people. She said, I'm going to talk to the king. You guys pray and fast that the king will move in this direction that is God's direction. Step forward in faith, confidently knowing that God is in control. I mentioned our, um, our, our fourth born, number four, uh, a few minutes ago. Um, and I see this idea of faithful stepping in him. Think about this. Anytime that you've seen a kid walk or learn to walk, um, uh, anytime they get near a set of stairs, what do we all do? We all move into like kind of crazy panic. If they get towards stairs, they're going to fall. Why are we fearful that they are going to fall? Because they step forward thinking that what was back here is directly in front of them as well. It was here, so surely it's going to be there. Um, when, when I was changing his, his diaper the other day, he stands up on the changing table and what does he do? He launches himself forward at me, confident step of faith, knowing that what? I was gonna catch him. I was in complete control, that I was with him, that I cared for him, that I loved him and I was gonna be with him in that next step. And for some of us this morning, we have responded to faith in Jesus. We believe that he is with us in our present circumstances, but there is a, a faith step that we need to confidently take forward directly in front of us. We need to know and rest on the fact that he is in control and that he's with us in whatever step we take next. God is working in, in he is working in everything, at work in everything. And nothing, not one thing, not one thing can separate us from his love. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. There is that inner skeptic in us that as we work through those questions, we think that this is truth for some people this is true in some ways, but surely it's not true for me. There's some of us that we even know what that next step should be in faith, but we just question whether or not we should be taking it and we wait around and we talk ourselves out of it. This morning, I just want you to, to take a second and just pray. 
Just pray two things. Thank God that he is at work in your life. Believe that truth this morning. That he is at work in all things. And next, pray and thank God that he loves you and that nothing, not one thing can separate you for God, from God's love for you in Christ Jesus. Not one thing. Ask him to help you move forward confidently in faith, knowing that he's with you, working all things together for good. God, this morning we trust you. We trust that your word is true. We trust that you are with us and and we know that because of your son, Jesus, that he came here, that he lived, that he died, that he bought our sin away from us and, and exchanged with us his perfect record. That when you look at us, you don't see a guilty one but you see the innocence of your son, Christ. God, this morning, please work this truth into our hearts and in our lives. As we walk out these doors, we know that there is an adversary who pushes against us to try and convince us that everything we have just talked about is not true. God, help us to trust in the fact and the truth that you are working all things together for good. God, and we pray that as you do that, that we would give you all glory. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen.